Hello everyone, my name is Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Thank you so much for joining us for the Supercharge podcast. We have a very special treat for you today. We have Lynn McTaggart, who is the author of the phenomenal groundbreaking book, The Field. She's going to be talking about uh, her new book, The Power of Eight, and the intention experiment she's been doing uh, with the power of prayer, which is essentially, you know, your thoughts, sending healing messages out to other people, and the power behind that, which is essentially a concept in bioenergetics. Your thoughts are very powerful. Your words are very powerful. And Lynn explains the science behind prayer or sending healing messages to people to heal them of physical health issues, mental issues, even in an experiment she talks about in lowering crime rates in a certain area where she did an intention experiment. Such a fascinating conversation and just just listen. It's really, really interesting. I got so much out of this and I know, know that you will too. Toxic metals are one of the biggest contributors to fatigue. My name is Wendy Myers and in my decade of research, I have discovered that toxic metals affect mitochondrial performance. Your mitochondria are little cells powerhouses that make your body's energy. And toxic metals like arsenic, aluminum, thallium, and cesium, those poison enzymes that produce energy in your body. These toxic metals are found in your air, food, and water. They're everywhere. They're unavoidable in our environment today. Everyone has them in their body. The question is what metals do you have and at what levels? Click the link below to take my quiz to evaluate your level of heavy metal toxicity. Our guest today, Lynn McTaggart, is one of the central voices in the new consciousness movement. She's the award-winning author of seven books, including worldwide bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiment, The Bond, and her latest book, The Power of Eight. She also serves as editorial director of What Doctors Don't Tell You, WDDTY.com, one of the world's most highly praised health publications. Lynn and her husband, uh, WDDTY co-founder Brian Hubbard, live and work in London. You can learn more about Lynn McTaggart at LynnMcTaggart.com. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to do the work that you do? Sure. Um, I started out life as an investigative reporter. So my kind of work was doing things like busting baby selling rings with hidden microphones and tape recorders. That's, that's and, amazing. I love yeah, that. that you... Was, you know, that and that kind of uh, investigative streak in me has never left me. But in I guess it was um, in the early 90s, we, I had set up a magazine with my husband called What Doctors Don't Tell You. And that, that was all about investigating what works and what doesn't work in conventional and alternative medicine. And we would look at medical literature every day um, and for this and you know, read the studies, etc. And I kept coming across very good studies of things like spiritual healing. And I kept thinking to myself, well, if you can take a thought and send it to someone else and make that person better, then that undermines everything we know and think about how the world works. And so I was set on trying to find out why this could be. And I figured there might be something very simple like human energy fields. 
But I figured, well, maybe I should start talking to scientists who are involved in consciousness research, some frontier scientists, and they'll probably be able to tell me. So I started speaking to them, and I realized soon after doing so that they were on the verge, each of them, in discovering a completely new way that we work, that the world works. They were really developing and creating a revolution in science. But scientists talk in math. They talk in code. Uh, they can't, you know, it's hard for them to be comprehensible to ordinary folk. And also, they don't like to move beyond their own experimental boundaries to look at the big picture on all of this, what the, the real meaning is. So I soon realized, uh, essentially to my alarm, that I was going to have to put this stuff together myself if I was going to, to, um, to understand the real import of what they were discovering. So I did with my first book in that area called The Field. Uh, but after I finished The Field, there was some leftover business. There were a lot of studies suggesting that thoughts are an actual something with the capacity to change physical matter. And again, being the investigative reporter, I thought to myself, well, you know, how far are we, can we take this here? You know, are we talking about shifting a quantum particle? Or are we talking about curing cancer? You know, how far does this go? And also, what happens when lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time? Does it magnify the effect? So I decided to put this to the ultimate test. I set up a thing called the intention experiment, and I figured I knew a lot of these scientists by then in consciousness research. And I also had lots of readers because the field was in 30 languages by then. So I thought if I just put them together, I'm going to have the biggest global laboratory in the world. And that's really what I did. Um, we started testing the power of thought. And every so often, one of the credible scientists working in prestigious universities like University of Arizona or University of California, Penn State University, would set up a very well-controlled study. And then I would invite my audience of readers around the world um, or an, an actual audience, if I were speaking somewhere, to come on my website and send an intention to that target. And I was pretty convinced it wasn't going to work. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, this would be interesting to ask the question, but, you know, I did not know how far we were going to be able to take it. And we did start out small. We, we went from very, very simple studies of trying to affect very basic properties of a leaf to trying to make seeds grow faster, to trying to purify water, to trying to lower violence in war-torn areas, to trying to heal a person of PTSD. And as I say, I was not sure it was going to work, but of the 32 experiments we've run to date, 28 have shown measurable, mostly significant effects. So it really worked. In fact, it's worked better than almost any drug on the market that you mm. can think. Wow. Uh, and so it was shocking to me, um, but it's not really the point of my story. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's go from the beginning. Let's talk about your book, The Field. It's a phenomenal book that's inspired so many people to think outside of our typical paradigm of thought about how the human body works and communicates. Can you discuss some of the concepts that you wrote about in The Field? Sure. Um, 
I wrote about essentially the central idea of the book is that we are not this kind of discrete um, chemical object, the way we are described by conventional science. You know, they describe us as lonely individuals in a, on a lonely planet in a lonely universe, basically. <laughs> um, it's very bleak. A, yeah, and we are a kind of a collation of chemical charge and a chemical signaling and electrical charge. But what we've discovered, what the new science has discovered, is that we are part of something much bigger. We are, first of all, not just chemistry. We are frequency at our heart and that we are communicating with every other living thing in the planet on our subatomic level. We are part of a much larger quantum energy field, which is why I called it the field. Um, but there were so many new facets of that. Um, the idea that consciousness, our thoughts, are not locked inside our head, but are trespassers, and that affect other people and things, that we are, our brains are more like antenna senders and receivers rather than repositories of information, um, that our cells communicate through quantum frequency and through that we send out tiny currents of light to other living things and they send out light back to us. We're having conversations all the time via quantum frequencies. And, um, and that, as I say, our thoughts are trespassers. You know, we're leaky buckets. We're affecting everything from small cell organisms to full-fledged human beings at every moment. Yes. Yeah, and what role, so what you're essentially talking about is bioenergetics. Like, what role do you think bioenergetics will play in the healthcare of the future? Well, I think bioenergetics is the healthcare of the future. I mean, I think some of the really important work that we're seeing in various modalities has to do with energy, thought, and frequency. And I've certainly seen that in Power of Eight groups. A lot of the groups that I've been running with healing for more than 10 years, which I stumbled on in the course of doing the intention experiments. I've watched people, thousands of them, get healed in an instant through the power of thoughts. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the science of our body's energy field. Uh, can you cover, cover some of the major theories of like this new science and the frontier scientists who made these groundbreaking discoveries? Well, it was what I was just talking about. Um, the Dr. Hal put off really put forward the idea that maybe the zero point field, which was called the zero point field, the quantum energy field, called zero point because little subatomic particles continue to vibrate and communicate even in temperatures approaching absolute zero, when everything is supposed to stop and come to rest. And um, what you have to realize with the quantum energy field is it's a kind of mothership of information. I mean, there's two amazing things about quantum particles. One is they trade energy and information back and forth. Think of them as having an endless little game of tennis with each other. And we know that that's what's happening all the time with quantum particles. They're sending information back and forth. They're sending energy back and forth. It's tiny. But once you add up all the quantum particles doing this in the whole planet, you've got this 
unbelievable, unfathomable amount of energy going on in empty space, you know, like some supercharged backdrop. Um, there's another thing about it is that quantum particles, um, you know, which are also waves, um, when they bump into each other, they take on information and they have an infinite capacity to store information. So if you think about the zero point field with all of this information constantly being gathered, it is like this, it's like the Library of Congress in an energy field, essentially. So after your hit book, The Intention Experiment, expired thousands across the globe to participate in a worldwide healing project, uh, what moved you to try the experiment with small groups of eight, which is what you're exploring in your new book, The Power of Eight? Well, back in 2008, which was a year after we started the intention experiments and I'd published the book itself, we had been getting some positive results with the experiments. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, well, I suppose I should run workshops now, but I'm an investigative reporter by training. I hadn't run personal development workshops before, so I wasn't really sure what to do. And how do you help people manifest intention over a weekend? I mean, I knew about all the rudimentaries of intention. I'd studied with intention masters, and I'd studied what works in the laboratory, and I'd, I'd um, distilled that down into a simple program of how to do intention that I wrote about in the intention experiment, which I called Powering Up. But um, I wasn't sure, okay, what do we do in a workshop setting? So I'm kicking this around with my husband one day, and I say to him, I don't know, maybe I'll just put people in groups of eight or so and have them send healing intention to one of the members of the group with a health challenge. And he is a good headline writer, he's a journalist too, and he goes, yeah, the power of eight, I love it. And so in 2008, that's just what we did. We uh, got together, you know, a workshop, our first workshop in Chicago. We put people into groups of eight. Um, we told them to send healing intention. Uh, I told them about holding hands and doing this and doing that. And I was essentially making it up as I went along. I had no idea what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. But I figured it was probably going to be a very mild effect, a nice little relaxing gesture and experience, a little bit like having a facial. Yeah. So I invited <laughs> them back the next day and said, come back and tell us what happened. The people who were the recipients were people who had some sort of health challenge. So they stood up, got the mic and turned and said things like this. Um, I've had headaches all of my life at terrible migraines, and my head is clear today for the first time in I don't know how long. Oh. Um, I have terrible arthritis in my knee, and I've been able to walk normally. Um, I have cataracts, and they're 80% better. You know, and on and on and on it went in this vein for about an hour. So after I'd picked my jaw up off the floor, I dismissed it. I just thought to myself, oh, no, this is a placebo effect. You know, I'm, I'm probably the ultimate doubting Thomas on some of this stuff. So I dismissed it, but kept experimenting with it on workshop after workshop after workshop. And I had thousands of, you know, groups. And in every single time I ran this, we had major instant healings. You know, I just had something in the Mile High Church. We had a woman who came, she was in terrible pain. She had an awful she had dislocated her shoulder in an, a, a really bad car accident. She came to a talk of mine, and she had this terrible pain. And we put them in circles, 
and she it felt it slot back into place and felt it and the pain was like down to almost zero then we had another woman in that same group who had um her knee was from being an athlete all her life her knee was really shot and she was scheduled for knee replacement surgery and it was really wobbly and she was having a hard time even climbing up the stairs or doing anything and once again during the the intention she said she felt like giant mitts were holding onto her knee and as soon as she finished she could squat she showed the whole audience this and you know and on and on and on a woman with tmj it went down to normal she was in pain sort of eight out of ten that went down to zero and you know on and on and on lame or walking essentially so this was shocking to me and scary and it's why it's taken me 10 years to write about this um to really want to talk about it because i needed to as a journalist i needed to understand why you know what's responsible for these instant healings and why me you know and so the book is really a lot about that it's also about the rebound effects that occurred with the big intention experiments when i said early on in this interview the intention experiments themselves aren't the real point of the story what i mean is yes we've had amazing experiences with you know everything from making seeds grow faster as i say to purifying water to lowering violence to healing someone but the more interesting thing is what happened to the participants because again i've tried to quantify record document all of this um using scientists but also surveying the participants And the first time I did this was 2008 with our first peace experiment. We were sending intention to lower violence in Sri Lanka, which was undergoing a a really a 25-year intractable civil war. And um and the upshot of the experiment itself is we had a really interesting effect. It seemed like that very week the government won some decisive battles and within a few months had had recaptured the north which was all but lost to the rebels. few months after that that 25 year war which had been a total impasse was over so maybe we did this maybe we didn't but the more interesting thing is what was happening to the participants i um i surveyed them a few months later and i got answers like this i felt i was part of a higher network i was sobbing and shaking uncontrollably I had energy running up and down my arm it was like being in the tractor beam in Star Trek and on and on and on like that like they had undergone some sort of mystical altered state but also what happened to them in the month weeks and months afterward is they said they well it was really just the weeks afterward they said my relationships have changed I'm getting along better with everybody in my family I'm getting along better with that not so nice boss. Um I've made up with my estranged partner. This is thousands and thousands or my estranged father or whatever or my children and I are really they've changed amazingly. Um I am in love with everybody I come in contact with. That was about half of the people said that. They were essentially hugging strangers. And many of them left their jobs, a number of them left their jobs and did something involving peace. one person joined the peace corps you know people were working on charitable projects it was really quite amazing something profound had happened to them and remember these were not people in a group together 
these were people who were sitting in the main individually in front of their computer screens. Nevertheless, they were describing this overwhelming feeling of energy and some altered state and also describing a major, major change in their lives. Their lives became more peaceful. And I ran these a number of times before it finally dawned on me, having studied the surveys time after time. This seemed to be a mirror effect, which was when we were sending intention out for peace, their lives, the participants' lives became more peaceful. We were sending out an intention for healing. They had major healings too. Yeah, and that's so fascinating. I mean, I found also when I started getting involved in bioenergetics and using various platforms to improve my health and my mental well-being, it was totally life-changing as well. And that's why I'm doing this podcast about bioenergetics to get the word out about the power, the, the healing power of prayer or thought or energy and, uh, and the, the science behind this. So, so how does scientific study play a role in your findings with these intention experiments? Well, particularly with the power of eight, I wanted to find out why on earth this happened. Um, there's a lot of good evidence for the power of group support in healing. You know, that there is something that the French psychologist Emile Durkheim um, coined the term collective effervescence. There's that. And um, another so a French social scientist called uh, these kinds of group healings soiree miracles. You know, that when you get together in group, miracles can happen. But that's not the whole story. The big piece, and I found that, I found obviously lots of evidence for intention and the power of thought, but the biggest piece of all was the power of altruism. I mean, altruism is an amazing bulletproof vest, and that's not something most people talk about because in this self-help business, everybody's talking about self-help, you know, yes, yeah. and, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on me, 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 me. But what started happening in my groups because everybody's got to get together in a group, send intention to someone with a health challenge in the group, you know, loving, healing, selfless intention. And what I started to notice is that a lot of the senders as well as the receivers get healed. And um, in fact, a number of people where their intentions aren't working, as soon as they get off of themselves and start intending for someone else, they start healing. And that I found really amazing and fascinating. Um, you know, why this should be. But um, when I started looking at the power of altruism, I found altruism is like a bulletproof vest. Um, people who use, do something altruistic, whatever it is, live longer, are happier, are healthier than people who don't. And there's a lot of good reasons for this. I mean, when we do something for someone else, we fire up a thing called the vagus nerve. It's the longest nerve in our body. It starts from our neck and it winds through all of the major organs of the body. And it also does things like um, helps to release um, oxytocin, the hormone oxytocin, which is called the love hormone. You know, that gets released when we're caring for babies, things like that. And that also has a profound effect on our immune system. That kind of refreshes our immune system. So it's easy to see that getting off of yourself really can affect, you know, affect yourself um, just 
by the nature of, you know, doing good for someone else. People feel really complete. And I noticed it. I run a thing called an intention masterclass, which is a year-long teleseminar. But what happens is we run it for six weeks and I put people in groups for the rest of the year and we monitor them. We, we give them tips. We, you know, we follow them, follow what they're doing. And the first time I did this was 2015, mainly because I wanted to study what was going on. You know, if I put people in groups for a whole year, would everything in their lives begin to heal too? And so I started monitoring them. I had 250 and I started monitoring them month by month to find out what was going on with their health, their relationships, their finances, their job or career, their life's purpose. And of those 250, uh, 150 maintained weekly meetings with the groups. They met faithfully with their group and did intention together. And of those 150, pretty much 100% had major life changes. And I'm talking about one guy cured himself of lifelong debilitating suicidal depression. A woman who had had terrible chronic fatigue for 15 years was healed and is now lifting weights and hiking. Um, a woman repigmented herself with vitiligo. Then we had people with all kinds of amazing financial windfalls. We had people who, um, and it was always in the nick of time, or started great new jobs, even if some of them were like in their 50s. Um, they, you know, we had relationships start up. We had relationships resolved that had been problematic or even estranged. You know, people's lives were just healing. And when we, we started, I noticed after a while, a lot of people were progressing amazingly, but a few weren't. And I noticed one, for instance, Andy. Andy was just getting nowhere. She was going through a divorce. Uh, she had two small children and she needed a, a new job. She had sold her gift store business, but she was not getting successful in getting any kind of work. And she was looking for marketing or coaching, and she couldn't get anything, nothing. Tried everything. The group tried everything. I tried everything with her. And then finally I just said, Andy, just get off of yourself. Stop intending for yourself. Start intending for someone else. And I had thrown out a challenge to all the groups there was a stepfather who wrote to me about his stepson, Luke, who was 15, who had broken up with his first serious girlfriend and in a fit of adolescent existential angst had thrown himself off of a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. And, you know, Luke broke every bone in his body and he had nerve damage and brain damage, everything. They didn't think he was going to live. So I asked all the groups to spend some weeks just sending intention to Luke. And Andy was one of those people. Now, Luke got out of the hospital in record time. He did live, he healed, you know, maybe it was good doctoring, maybe it was us. But what was really interesting is what happened to Andy. The moment she started intending for Luke and not intending for herself, literally the following week, a dream job comes through on a telephone. Somebody calls her. She doesn't know this person. She didn't solicit anything from this person. And it comes out of the blue. So... I think there is an interesting, really interesting piece here with altruism that is never explored, but there's an enormous amount of evidence to suggest that it's very, very powerful. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it is. There's such incredible power in, in like not thinking about yourself and wanting to help other people 
in that way. And, you know, in, in your book, The Power of Eight, you tie in the power of prayer as well as meditative practices like transcendental meditation. Can you tell us about the, the ties that uh, you, you, you saw there? Yeah, I mean, what was really interesting to me was trying to find out, I mean, in terms of prayer, you know, where did this come from before? You know, other people must have done this before me. And I was looking and looking, and I did speak to a lot of experts and looked into a lot of esoteric practices. I spoke to the Rosicrucians. I spoke to experts in religious prayer. I spoke to experts in um, indigenous practices. And although people, there were plenty of circles and healing circles, that's nothing new. What they hadn't, didn't have any information about was this kind of rebound effect that I was seeing. Um, but I was really fascinated to find a, a strange mistranslation in the Bible, uh, which was talking about um, during the time that the apostles were supposedly setting up the new church and they were, you know, supposedly following what their teachings from Christ. Um, the King James version of the Bible always talks about them praying with one accord. And that's a very anemic phrase for the actual original in the Hellenic Greek. What that was, was it was a word called homothumidon, which is a word that actually means passionately and with one voice. So what they were told to do was to always pray together passionately and with one voice, essentially an intention, right? All together. And over and over in that section of the Acts, it talks about you pray together like this and you will heal, you will be healed. So I was fascinated by that as a possible antecedent, this whole idea of this passionately in one voice. And certainly there's plenty of evidence on prayer there was a really interesting study done by a priest who was also a psychologist who wanted to see if you could use prayer to heal depression. And, you know, um, there's been plenty of studies showing prayer works for physical illnesses, but would it work for a mental illness too, he wondered. So he got 400 volunteers, all of whom suffered from clinical depression, put them into two groups. One group was going to receive the prayer. The other group was going to give the prayer. And so afterward, he measured them according to all these kinds of psychological parameters. And he found that the people who got the prayer did really well. I mean, they were improved, but not anywhere near as improved as the people who had done the praying. I mean, they were off the charts improved. And he had to admit, you know, I guess doing the praying is more powerful than getting the prayer. Um, and so there's that really interesting piece about, about the power of prayer. In terms of meditation, I mean, I was curious, as I say, I wanted to take this apart in every way. I wanted to see what kinds of brain waves get produced during these power bait groups. Would that give me any information? Um, certainly people were reporting what, you know, Abraham Maslow was fascinated, the psychologist Abraham Maslow was fascinated with peak experiences, as he called them these moments of mystical altered states. And he talked about a lot of conditions, you know, like um, everything from feeling this extra energy to feeling outside your body, to feeling connected with everything and all that is, to having amazing rejuvenation and change afterward. 
And the people in my big experiments were experiencing all of this. Um, so I wanted to find out, okay, what happens when you're in a group intention situation? And is it like meditation? So luckily, Life University, which is the largest chiropractic university in the world, um, had heard, I, I gave a talk there, and they were fascinated by the power of eight. So they put their neuroscience and psychology departments at my disposal and said, you know, sure, go ahead and let's start setting up some studies. So I worked with a neuroscientist who organized a study of the power of eight groups using student volunteers. And we put an EEG cap to measure brain waves on uh, one of the student volunteers in each group. And we ran it seven times. And every time these students with the EEG cap setting intention, sending intention in the group had an immediate effect. And it was essentially a global quieting of those parts of the brain that are involved in, in creating a sense of separation. So that concerns things like the parietal lobes, which sit sort of the back to the back of the head. And they help us navigate through space, but they also make us understand what's me and what's not me. And they were dialed way down, but so were the parts of the brain involved with worry, doubt, negativity. That was also way down too. So what you're seeing essentially is a brainwave signature of someone in a feeling of ecstatic oneness. Very different from ordinary meditation, very different brainwave signature, which was, you know, the meditator usually may feel a slight sense of expansion, but usually has a sense of still being there. And so, and being present, these people were lost in a larger group kind of situation. What it was much more like, almost identical to, were the brainwave signatures uh, as um, recorded by Andrew Newberg, Dr. Andrew Newberg at the University of Pennsylvania, who studied Sufi masters during uh, chanting and Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer. They had identical brainwave signatures. But here is, of course, the difference. Those people, a Sufi master or a Buddhist monk, requires years and years of discipline training and also hours and hours of priming to get into that state. My people were total novices. Most of them hadn't even meditated. They were just student volunteers. And all they had was a 13-minute video for me telling them how to do this. And nevertheless, they were transported into that extraordinary altered state. And, of course, as we know with these groups, uh, that has seemed to be involved in these, healing, uh, these healings as well. So it made me understand that, you know, when you're talking about healing practices, when you're talking about altered states, you don't need sweat lodges, you don't need ayahuasca, you know, you don't need years of discipline practice, all you need is a small group and a common intention, and you are transported into the miraculous. Yeah, I mean, you you did a, a phenomenal experiment using just these concepts called the American Peace Intention Experiment, which is a webcast on Gaia around the world last year, it's September 30th to October 5th in 2017. Can you tell us about that and if it's still available to view? Um, <clears throat> When we did this, I wanted to do I wanted to do a webcast and try to send an intention to heal America. So 
we decided to choose the most violent place in America, which turned out to be an area of northern St. Louis, Missouri, um, along the North Bridge Avenue section of, the, of that. And so for six days, as part of this broadcast, <clears throat> I invited all of the viewers to send intention to this area. And we showed pictures of it. We had, you know, we had a uh, lovely little meditative music. And then what you have to do with a peace experiment, and we've run peace experiments, I think, excuse me, five times now. <clears throat> what you have to do is wait a lot of, time, a lot of months afterward, because you have to see what unfolds. I mean, if you measure the effects of violence, violent crime, the week after you've done it, I mean, that's meaningless. What you have to see is whether or not there is an ongoing trend. So we patient, after we finished on October, in early October, we patiently waited six months to, well, more than six months. We needed six months worth of data to see about the trends. And so I asked Dr. Jessica Utz, who has done, she's a professor of statistics at the University of California. And I asked her to do the mapping of what had happened afterward. And she's just finished, she's just sent it back to me because we had to have statistics from October to March and the, those six months. And then it took, you know, we had to get them from the police, which we didn't get till, uh, till late April. So when we looked it over, what I asked her to do was to go through uh, monthly statistics of violent crime and property crime and make them separate for all of northern, all of St. Louis, and then just that area, which was one of the neighborhoods that's there, is an area called Fairground. So that's one of the most violent areas. It's got, you know, it it has a higher, it's got a violence level that's about three hundred percent higher than the typical other part of America, and it pretty much has, you know, its great claim to frame is negative superlatives, you know, the most violent area, the, the, you know, the poorest, the this, the that, that kind of thing. So we looked at violent crime there and property crime. We looked at violent crime and property crime for all of St. Louis. And we looked at it from September 2014 to March 2018. And then Jessica mapped what should have happened based on a trend and what did happen. And what was extraordinary was Every other part, property crime in Fairground, property crime in all of St. Louis, violent crime in all of St. Louis, all of it went up except for violent crime in Fairground, where we sent intention, which actually dropped compared to the six months of last year, of the year before, it dropped 43%. Wow, that's, that's uh, unbelievable. And we've had this with every intention experiment where we've done it for six or seven days. I think we've done it six days or eight days. And where we've measured measured it with this kind of rigor, we've had, we've had this kind of lowering of violence. Did we do this? You know, who knows? It could be total coincidence, except that every time we've done it, we've had the same result. And when you start having that four, five, six times, it starts getting more compelling. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's just so fascinating how you're able to impact so many different, so many different facets like people's health or their, their mindset and even violent crime and going Sri Lanka. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, if, if the, 
the you know the intention experiment was you know as impactful in that way in Sri Lanka. It's just so fascinating, and I, I just love this conversation with you. And I love the work that you're doing. I love your book, The Field, and I'm just I'm so appreciative that you came on and shared with us and shared with the listeners um, everything that you're doing. And can you tell the listeners more about you and where they can find you? Sure. Um, I run loads of different intention experiments. Um, I also run teleseminars, workshops, and retreats. And to find out more about all of that, you can come on to my website, lynnmctaggart.com, and just sign up and be part of the intention experiments. But also, if you want to set up a, a virtual power bait group, uh, we have an area on our website, lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum, um, that is um, just dedicated to people announcing or joining virtual groups in their time zone. And we have hundreds and hundreds of groups forming. And also I have a coming up in um, the end of June, I have a specific teleseminar, Becoming a Better Healer with the Power of Eight. And that's a, a teleseminar running for three, uh, over a week, three sessions with lots of downloads. And it's really aimed at healing professionals of all persuasions. So if people want to try to use intention and learn how to do it with an advanced course, that's that's what I'm doing right now. That's fascinating. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. I so appreciate your time. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. My name is Wendy Myers. You can learn more about me at MyersDetox.com. You can also learn about how to do your own bioenergetics healing program at Ness health.com. Please take two minutes to go to iTunes and leave us a review so that we can get our word out and our healing messages to more people. Thank you so much for listening today. Mm